0: Hi right, Dan. Good
1: evening, how are you? Yeah, good thanks, how are you doing? I feel like we asked this twice, don't we, in the preparation call as well, and then we do it We do it for the audience, don't we really now? <laughs> we absolutely do. Well, you've been telling me about the, the ups
0: and downs of, of Sunday as a Liverpool fan. Pretty pretty uh, pretty manic, really, in the
1: end. Didn't quite go as expected. Well, the, I, I thought the great thing that you guys did, I think it was yesterday, on Twitter, wasn't it, I think, or Monday, was yeah. um, uh, the... the Odds decreasing and the alignment of how close Liverpool were dependent on how many minutes had gone in the game, and maybe you want to actually explain that for a sec because I thought the the visual of that was actually really really interesting.
0: Yeah, we just plotted who was favourites for the league, and we, we started off I think Liverpool at fifth end at the start of the day, uh, and it dropped um, it dropped slightly obviously when Neto scored, although um, our model still predicted Liverpool to come back in that game, um, and then obviously as City conceded, Liverpool came back into it. You had these kind of odds. Um, moving towards each other in terms of towards 50-50 because the longer that City stayed behind, the longer that, even though Liverpool, the expectation would still be that they got the goal. And, and after that Coutinho goal in particular, Liverpool went favourites for the league for about, uh well, however many minutes it was really until um Gundogan got, got City back into the game and, and then suddenly again our, our model fancy City to come back into it. But th- there was a circumstance there where Liverpool would have been favourites for the league for just 20 minutes uh, and won the league, which... I put on Twitter, I don't think that ever would have happened before. Arsenal in 89 were, actually had quite a comfortable lead at the top of the league for for a period of time and certainly would have been favourites. Uh, a good friend of mine, Lars Schieffler, who runs a Club Elo website, um, sent me a link to what happened with, I think it was Stuttgart in 1992 in Germany, where they literally um, won the league in, in the last five minutes as well. It was a three-way tie at the top of the league, although they may have been favourites even for a week earlier in the season. So, yeah, we were very close to something that was pretty unprecedented in terms of... Um, of Liverpool being favourites for such a short period of time but sadly not to be
1: can I ask whether we're just doing clickbait podcasting now we did the Salah episode we did um, yeah the Haaland episode and now we're going for Mbappe is it is, is this is this what we've come to yeah we've not done a Messi and Ronaldo episode though that would be the one that that would get everyone in
0: I, I when I, as anyone kind of vaguely follows me I got into this industry from writing a blog and one of uh, the blogs I wrote, this would have been over ten years ago, literally had a Messi, Ronaldo headline. It was just trying to delve into the analytics of uh, of them a bit more, and the amount of traffic that piece got compared to anything, and it wasn't particularly a good piece, to be honest. Like looking back on it, particularly compared to some of the other stuff on on the blog, but it, the amount of traffic it got, it uh, yeah, it's certainly certainly the certain names that draw in draw in the eyeballs. So, what should we talk about in
1: terms of Mbappe today? What have well, got let's
0: it? let's start with you know the size of the deal i mean you know according uh, to the reports the uh, we're talking about what was it a signing bonus in the region of 100 million monthly salary um of about 4 million so about a million a week uh, the big question is you know how how does the club afford this beyond well, in the context of financial fair play i'm sure i'm sure um the, the PSG owners can can afford it out of pocket but how, how does it work in the context of of you know the financial regulations that we discussed quite a bit on this pod
1: Yeah, well, as everyone I'm sure will um, no doubt remember word for word for our forensic approach to um, what the new regs are going to be from next season and the season after and from what the regulations have been at present. Um, I think it's probably fair to say, and I think we're going to touch on it in a little bit, um, La Liga came out, I think they issued a statement on the Saturday night, which was even before Mbappe, I think, had confirmed his decision to, to formally stay at PSG, that they were outraged at, um, the the amounts of money that were reported to be on offer Mbappe to stay and I think there's a few things worth considering I think the first thing is again we talked about in prep slightly for the call is you know just like Haaland obviously wasn't a free transfer but was it a significant um, uh, discount because of the release clause number Mbappe was more or less a free transfer he was out of contract at PSG within the next um, month or so um, Real Madrid had offered huge amounts of money by way of supposedly two or three hundred million euro signing on fee. That's obviously spread throughout the term of the deal. Who, who knows how long that, that would be in? And I was reading a few reports as well about, you know, actually Real almost making fiscal room for being able to then pay the, the such huge sums that Mbappe would would cost. I mean, they, they got rid of Ramos. I say got rid, I mean, off the wage bill at least. Varane went to United. Regulon, Hakimi's went, went, Odegaard uh, went, and that was for almost 100. Best part of 100 mil. Those last few players. So I found it fascinating that on one side, one of the historical superpowers that had to, in a way, um, plan for a couple of seasons, obviously with COVID as well, um, selling quite a lot of pretty good players to try and put a plan in place to try and bring in um, um, the global superstar, that is Mbappe. And if we turn to the FFP regs just briefly. I got asked this question actually today by somebody which was well about Tabas and La Liga's complaints in a second but at least my understanding of the, the UEFA financial fair play rules as they currently stand as they currently will do because they'll continue for next season as well is UEFA won't, I don't believe can or will look into um, the the contract that has just been entered into at least for financial fair play reasons because what effectively happens is Um, PSG for this next season coming, i.e. when uh, Mbappe is going to be paid the the significant extra sums on a weekly basis, who knows whether that's a million euros a week or 40 million a year year, or whatever else it might be plus commercial stuff. Um, They're going to have to submit that um, for next season and then the auditors will then take the time to be able to go through that and then submit that to the UEFA through the UEFA portal so it's probably only you know usually in the springtime of 2023 that UEFA will have a clear idea about whether um, PSG has broken the financial fair play regulations for the season just gone at least that's my understanding on the timing of things query whether that timing works because you know the, the, the season next season will basically already be over and we had these type of issues in the past with clubs that maybe thought that they were potentially other clubs thought they were potentially in breach but the the short answer is based on my understanding of the regulations that there won't be any UEFA investigation into um, a breach of the FFP regs because the FFP regs aren't catching anything that hasn't been reported yet by way of the financial assessment and that is still um, a little bit time away. And that's always
0: obviously been a sticking point about financial regs, is not it? That it's not live. It's not tracking. Obviously, that's been a particular issue uh, in EFL, lower league football, because there it's kind of existential. Um, If you're not tracking uh, club spending on an ongoing basis, you know, you could could have clubs going out of business, but in this case, it's more about competitiveness. um, PSG aren't going to go out of business because they're paying uh, Mbappe so much. So that's where, um, yeah, that, that's where I guess there's always going to be an inherent tension on this stuff. And there is, I think, probably, that well, I'm the certain there's a technology to track this this stuff on an ongoing basis. But, um, yeah, for whatever reason, maybe its complexities of it all, um, it doesn't doesn't stay. And I, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. One of the things around um, PSG, and I could be making this up, to be honest, but am I right in saying I think tax rates are potentially slightly higher in, in France than they would be in Spain? So, obviously, um, PSG probably need to pay an even bigger salary to, to Mbappe and then
1: perhaps Real Madrid would. Are things like tax rates uh, accounted for in the financial regs? Well um, it's a really good point because there's such wide disparity sometimes but what usually is taken um, into well what is taken into account and taken care of is what the gross number actually is and that's where sometimes there can be issues The submission that will be made to UEFA and any national licensing authorities will always be based on what is the gross number that the club is paying to the player uh, before tax effectively. So what is the what is the total um, gross uh, number? But um, as you can imagine, what can sometimes happen as well is if you are in such a strong negotiation position as a player, You'll want to try and hedge against what might be significant or insignificant tax increases. So what you might want to do, and I don't know whether this was the case with Mbappe or otherwise or Haaland or whoever else there might have been over the years or Ronaldo, was that um, you would ask, the agent would ask for a guaranteed net amount per week or per month or per year so that actually then what you would uh, then the club would basically be taking the hedge on if tax rates went up then the club would be on the hook for the difference because the net amount would continually be paid to the player over the course um, of their contract now You're totally right in what you say is that in particular countries across the UEFA family, tax rates are different and it might actually be quite disadvantageous for a club um, that uh, that has higher tax burden um, to then um, uh, effectively um, have to cover that higher tax amount or pay a larger amount, which then reduces their headroom. But in this example, it sounds like... um, I would be, yeah. You know, who knows whether the net or gross amount is. But the, the question overall is whether that reported 1 million euros a week is a net number um, or a gross number. I just I don't know the answer to that in truth. And also whether the bonuses signing on fees are included in that, whether the image rights stuff is included in that or whether actually that's just the start of quite a big package of other uh, financial commitments that uh, the PSG also entered into. Yeah,
0: it's often. Yeah, you get these numbers reported and it's difficult to know of details that's behind them. My understanding or certainly reading reports is that it'll be about um, yeah, about 20 million pounds uh, after tax. So you know, in the region of what would that be? 25 million euros, a bit more perhaps um, after tax. So yeah, it's a million a week uh, gross. Uh, one, of, one of the other um, things that I found quite interesting is that in the past, we can never get into the topic here of, of superstars running down their contracts, but in the past when a player is signing a mega deal, mega extension, as Mbappe has done here, there will normally be a price that the player needs to pay and that price will be a longer-term contract because it means the club wants to, you know, ensure that that player uh, is kind of committed to the team for a long period of time. They're able to kind of extract as much value from them and, and potentially realise a transfer fee for them as well. But in this instance, it's only until uh, 2025, I think I'm right in saying, which, you know, he'll be 26. He, he'll still be pretty much in his prime. And actually, if you look at the way that strikers in world football have aged over the last, you know, five, ten years, I mean, most of the best um, attacking players in world football are over the age of 26. Um, you know, and that includes the likes of Salah and, and others that we'll, we'll get on to. Um, so I, I thought that was quite interesting. Again, it's just the, the balance of power at that very elite end of the game seems to be very quickly shifting to the player. Uh, and um, I think partly because if you look at things like, the modern fan and it gets spoken about a lot um, about the way that um, the modern fan, young fan engages with players rather than teams and I've kind of had first-hand experience of this of um, younger fans in, in my family um, and I think it is a very real thing. So I think that that's an element of the, the shift of power um, to players but then also just from a pure kind of career point of view, improvements in sports science, improvements in medical means that, you know, when was the last time that we had a player Cut down in their prime, you know, one of the world's best players cut down in their prime. You know, let's say they were between the ages of twenty three and, and twenty eight, got an injury and weren't able to come back and and return to that peak level. M- maybe maybe Gareth Bale um, would be one, um, although he was always kind of injury prone before, you know, his his move to Madrid. But there aren't many, and so you know, Mbappe, you know, doesn't need the security necessarily of a long term contract, which i spoken about from an injury perspective. So I,
1: I thought that was a really interesting dynamic that came out of the Mbappe deal as well. I, I totally uh, agree there. I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head right at the end, which is um, the, the the length of contract now. Obviously, I think the Harlem one's a lot, a lot longer. I can't remember if it was five years or otherwise. But I, I wonder whether this is uh, exactly the point that you're making, which is you have that playoff between security and freedom. Um, and presumably you know Mbappe is effectively already set up for life anyway, will be more so after these three years, depending if you whether stays that out or not. But a three year deal makes him a free transfer again, coming up to his prime, which then gives him maximum opportunity Um, and maximum feel to be able to go out into the market again and see what is out there once more. Um, Whereas a five-year deal takes him right to his prime possibly. And that flexibility, I presume, is very important. And I would have thought probably one of the main reasons why perhaps he resigned obviously the money and the sporting project and playing with Messi and Neymar is absolutely fantastic but having that flexibility in a few years time to decide what he wants to do again I'm sure must have been right in the forefront of his his mind when when deciding to do this.
0: Yeah exactly and, that, and that's maybe a good segue actually on to what motivates players because there, there is often a discussion about um, you know when you see numbers like this oh he's kind of stayed for the money and like you can you can um, believe what you want, really, but I think Nasrallah Khalifi was saying, you know, he was he stayed because he could have got more money elsewhere, but he stayed because because of the project, um, which I, I think I do believe to a degree. And I, and I think what's been really interesting this week um, has been watching actually outside of football and what's been happening in tennis um, and discussions around Wimbledon and the ranking points. Um, and when Wimbledon first um, was stripped of, of the ranking uh, points. Um, on the ATP and, and WTA tour. I, I honestly didn't think much of it. I just thought, well, it, it surely doesn't matter that much to players. You know, the prize money at Wimbledon is still the best, if not one of the best, um, you know, of all tournaments. There's the prestige of uh, of Wimbledon. But I thought it was really interesting seeing Osaka, Isna, a couple of others as well come out and, and talk about how, um, you know, they're motivated by ranking points, which I suppose it me. You know, some people might be cynical and say that is a commercial um Kind of motivation because actually a lot of sponsorship deals and, and so on will be will be linked to ranking points. But I also I think I like think O'Saka might have said she was the type of person who's motivated by you know seeing her ability to move up the rankings. And it's not necessarily about about money. And I think there is often um, with elite sports people uh, a simplification of the things that that interest them and motivate them. Um, and it you know it wouldn't surprise me again if if Mbappe does feel like being. You know, a, a club legend at PSG, obviously his, his home. You know, the, the club of the biggest club in his in his hometown city, if you like, um, is is a big motivator for him. And there are other things that um, that motivate players beyond money as well. I, I remember looking at, for example, the number of players that retire uh, in the ninety to ninety nine cap range that just basically never happens. You know, every player that gets to ninety caps basically wants to get to hundred caps, international caps. So you know, that's not a monetary thing. That's just a pure casto motivation thing. Um, and I know you deal a lot down with as it relates to kind of um, bonuses and success clauses as well, and and obviously a lot of that is financially linked. But I think my impression is clubs get I think more and more now about the kind of cultural elements that
1: that will kind of motivate players to stay and give them the environment that encourages them to stay as well. I think that's totally right. I mean, without going back onto one of our favourite topics, which is Salah. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. I remember listening to Jamie Carragher, speak a couple of weeks ago again, and he was almost saying. You know, as much as the leverage is still with the, the player because he's got a year left and it looks like he's at least going to stay for the final year, depending on whether he signs or re signs. But here is a fact, fe- was more or less saying is that the system is set up to best get the the best attributes out of Salah as well. So that it's not necessarily just a one way thing. And he pointed to Emre Chan and Coutinho and um, Wynaldum as individuals in their prime or otherwise going to different places and it not working out. And that's not to say it couldn't work out somewhere else for someone like Salah, but I think you're totally right. The culture, the structure, the setup, the way that Liverpool play or way that A team plays. This is then set up like I guess PSG is set up for those those front three players to thrive. Um, must be a real real consideration at the top at uh, the top of the game, especially because you know if. Uh, To some extent, as you said, we talked about motivation. If money isn't necessarily the primary motivation, apart from am I being paid very well for doing the thing I want to do, then it becomes a matter of individual and uh, team glory. In truth, it's it's like, you know, uh, is Ligue 1 the most important domestic trophy? Is it Um, then, you know, um, for club and country, is the Champions League the next big thing? Obviously, for PSG, sounds like that's always been the case or otherwise. And does that player then feel like he's at the right club to be able to um, ensure that they're challenging every year? For, for those trophies, and obviously he does think so. But again, it does give that flexibility um, to be able to say you know you're not you're not necessarily um, you know uh, ensuring that you're going to be a one player at one club for the entirety of their career. And if we again contrast that, for example, with Kane, you know uh, Harry Kane signs a very long term deal when uh, Tottenham seem like they are on a huge upward trajectory in 2018 with Pochettino. Poch then leaves a little bit of time later. Uh, Spurs go through more of a, a lull and changing managers a number of times, but signs a very long term deal, which makes it very difficult for him to get out of that deal when Man City come calling um, last summer. It looks like they're not going to come calling again. Could be wrong. Um, but that effectively means that that uh, playoff between stability and flexibility certainly went in the club's favour in that sense. But it looks like, you know, for those real outlier players like Mbappe, the, the opposite's true. Uh, and there is, I mean, bring up Kane, there is the agent dynamic in there as well, who. Um,
0: you know the agents. You know, and and you know, I think on the whole, will what what's best for their players, but they will sometimes have their own their own kind of financial interests as well, and, and that will that will whether explicitly or implicitly come into it, um, and and in some cases may you know encourage players to sign deals or, or whatever it is, and so ultimately it's down to the player, but I think that is a factor. I was also kind of intrigued to see. Um, Jack Grealish over over the weekend uh, and uh, over Monday and his his celebrations and you know I, I watching him in his videos I don't I don't get the impression that this is a guy who you know is motivated by uh, yes I'm sure he's got he's on a mega deal at City but you know he's uh, he hasn't really fit into the City team he's not necessarily played in his best position and so on but you can tell he he wants to be involved in winning teams and he uh, really enjoyed himself over over the last two or three days and maybe that's the thing that motivates him um and you know maybe for other players it's another thing i i just think uh, the point i guess i'm trying to make is that i think it's it's complex and yes the money is the one kind of tangible thing you can you can latch onto because it's it's very objective very kind of um clear but but i do believe i do genuinely believe that these players have other things that that motivate them to kind of stay uh, and get involved in um um, you know said a team or move to another team um, and ultimately yeah, wherever Salah chooses to go I think that the money will kind of be the hygiene factor but it will ultimately because he either sees himself or you know sees, um, sees his career being looked at in a particular light at a certain point in the time in the future.
1: Can I ask? Because we were going to just um, sort of perhaps finish on uh, on this this last point, which I, I found really interesting, as well. We touched on it in the beginning around La Liga and Tabas's um, uh, pretty outspoken statements about um, PSG generally and their uh, their renewal of Mbappe. I mean, it was highly inflammatory. Um, very briefly, just taking up parts of it um, in in order. He talks about it being scandalous that a club like PSG, which lost reported uh, lost more than 220 million after accumulating more than 700 million euros of losses in previous seasons, with a squad cost of 650 million, can close such an agreement, and that it was putting the economic stability of European football at risk, as well as hundreds of thousands of jobs, the integrity of sport, not only in European commissions but also competitions, but also in domestic leagues. I um, yeah, I was fascinated by the interplay of that, the timing of it, and maybe the wider political significance of that more more generally. But I just wondered whether you had any thoughts on that first, and I had to add a couple of bits as well. Uh, yeah, well, I'd probably take,
0: uh, I guess, a sporting perspective on it, and you can understand where it's coming from. Um, you know, La Liga um, was, you know, very comfortably the, the best league in, in European football going back five, six years um, now, when when Real Madrid in particular were winning successive Champions Leagues. Uh, and in our models, uh, in the UEFA coefficient, in kind of number of top rated players in world football, wherever you measured it, um, market value, La Liga was number one and it slipped um, to number two um, in the UEFA coefficient and it's actually slipped to number three in our rankings of, of leagues in terms of the competitiveness and quality of, of teams and leagues and in, in particular as it relates to you know the number of top players, which actually is a big commercial value um, of leagues. Again, we spoke about it with... Uh, Earlier about the, the kind of modern fan, okay, those fans aren't necessarily paying for subscriptions yet, but they are the fans of the future. And if you haven't got those superstar players in the league, then they will watch other leagues, or they will watch other sports, or other forms of entertainment altogether. So you can understand the kind of sense of nervousness. Uh, and I, I mean, like take the emotion out of it a little bit. I have a little bit of sympathy um, for the situation because you have got, you know, two clubs, Real Madrid, Barcelona. That okay, well, Barcelona, you know, have got all, all kinds of issues with, as it relates to debt. But they're both trying to operate on a kind of more traditional football model up against, you know, a very modern um, slash, you know, state owned model where it's, it's basically impossible to compete. And and actually there is a question, I suppose, of of fairness um, and whether all these things can be compatible and takes us right back to the start as to cost control. So as of the, I understand the, the position that um, that La Liga is in, because actually, you know, you don't have to look back that far to see a league that was in a similar position to La Liga and really lost relevance and that's Serie A where it was the number one league in in the 90s and then various issues that related to corruption, loss of superstar players, lack of investment infrastructure and so on and they very quickly dropped down to to fourth in in the European rankings so um, yeah I,
1: I understand the concerns and challenges they have there. I thought it was fascinating, just on a, on a few fronts. In a way, in terms of just slightly wider context, in that exactly as you said, losing Messi and Ronaldo, um, the two gl- global superstars, the faces of the modern game, um, to other leagues um, leaves leaves our league in a difficult position. The difficult position, effectively meaning, you know, CVC, um, the uh, the private equity entity, you know, investing into. La Liga. I'm not sure when it was, a f- few months ago now, um, if not slightly before. And Javier Tabas, the I'm not sure if it's president. I'm not sure his exact title is president or chief executive of La Liga. Um, you know, signing off on the deal. But then, as a result, you know Barcelona and Madrid, two of those that have opted out of the money um, distribution so far. So you know, Tabas not on easy terms, I guess, with Barcelona and Madrid in that front in that particular situation. Then we come to fast forward a little bit more with Super League and Tabas coming out strongly against um, Barcelona and Real Madrid um, for trying to break effectively break away and start um, Super League and some extremely strong words uh, between the various parties. Uh, Tabas came out on a I think a recent documentary um, with some even stronger words that he used for for some participants and we're now in that situation where. I wonder whether politically uh, or otherwise, um, you know, La Liga's position actually, for the first time in a while, on this very particular topic, uh, aligns quite significantly with that of um, one of their substantive clubs in in Madrid. And almost whenever it's possible for La Liga to effectively try and provide some solidarity, as a result, and pretty inflammatory solidarity at that, and makes for an interesting byline. So, you know, as much as uh, I'm fascinated by La Liga's um, statement I mean I, can't, I couldn't imagine for example the Premier League coming out with a statement uh, about you know Manchester City or Liverpool possibly trying to buy a player but then that player deciding to stay with their own club in another league I just can't I could never have imagined seeing that as a possibility but um, this way around um, it just obviously has happened but still is a little bit surreal from my perspective. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree.
0: It is, um, it is also to form, I suppose, in some respects with uh, with La Liga, but uh, yeah, always, always relatively entertaining. Um, very good. Well, that's, that's flown by. I think, uh, yeah, it's going to be really interesting um, to see. I mean, just the overall PSG "quote unquote" project, you know, over the next few years, because it's questionable the degree to which it has been a success from a sporting perspective, at least. Um, you know, over the period of time, just because you know, no um, one Champions League final really isn't and probably what they were what they were going for and certainly not the level of competitiveness you might have expected um, but thanks thanks for having done really really interesting
1: great stuff pal speak next week cheers thanks for listening you can follow me on Twitter TikTok and Instagram at Football Law read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the Dundee Football Podcast like share and tag me If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book, Done Deal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers, and Premier League big business. A bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally, and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by Thirteen, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research And particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.